On The Top Coaching Podcast, where we discuss the new and innovative waves in the sport of swimming. I'm your host, Jason Polano, and today my guest is CEO and founder of Ritter Sports Performance, the host of the Surge Strength and Swim Coaches Base Podcast, and overall do-gooder for the sport of swimming, Chris Ritter. Chris, how are you today? Good, Jason. Thank you for that very kind introduction. <laughs> you know, you gave me a great in- introduction a few years ago when I was on your podcast, and I, I wanted to to kind of just pay that forward to you. So uh, we were talking off mic just recently and it's like, hey, things are things are very different now than it was, you know, a year and a half, two years ago when we when we first spoke. But um, today is all going to be about Chris. It's not going to be about Jason. So um, really quickly, Chris, what is your history in the sport of swimming and how have you now transitioned into this role that you're currently in in the swimming world? Yeah, man. Swimming is a thing that I just can't uh, get rid of in my life, right? Even if I try sometimes, I think a lot of coaches and swimmers uh, can appreciate that. I swam uh, a lot of my life growing up, whether it was summer league, high school, club, uh, ended up swimming in college for a few years. I didn't swim my whole collegiate career because I knew I wanted to coach. And I, I only had so much time in the day, right? And so it's either you swim training and instead of uh, doing that, I ended up becoming a personal trainer where I still had a few years in college left and really got my hands in early on coaching. I was personal training. I was swim coaching at the time with um, in the summer, a summer league team. And then uh, a club opportunity happened. And then I took over a high school as well. So sometimes I was coaching three different teams in a calendar year and just getting as much experience as I could. Um, that turned into uh developing a sense on land of, hey, I'm learning some stuff in my degree here. And I remember I would literally learn something in a very hands-on class uh, towards the end of my degree. And I would come to the high school practice like, all right, guys, this is what we're doing today. And they're like, oh, great. What did Chris learn in school that we were going to like actually perform? So I remember being uh, very much a, a tinkerer, if you will, of I didn't have the best experience from dryland, actually got hurt in some drylands and it had a very negative impact on swimming. And I the more I dove into the strength of or the strength and conditioning science principles of training, I was just like, why, why aren't we doing more of this? This makes sense. And so I would just start to tinker with stuff and all right, uh, we're going to try out this with my high schoolers. And a lot of the high schoolers, you know, they just swim during the high school year. Like I'm sure you can relate to, and they're not necessarily doing club all year round. And you got to make sure they, they uh, perform in a very short season. Right. And so any edge you can get, and so we'd start doing dryland stuff. And um, I remember one athlete in particular, she, uh, I think it was her first or second year swimming with us. I think she was a junior at the time. And she had an extensive background in dance. And I'll tell you what, I have, I mean, I've seen a few, obviously worked with very elite athletes, but her dolphin kick underwater, Jason, was unreal. And I'm like, we got other kids been swimming year round for years and they can't do anything like what this girl is able to do. And she's barely, you know, six months into her swimming career. Like, how does that make sense? There, there obviously is something on land that we can do to help stuff like that. And, and skill acquisition. I mean, there's a yeah. huge push these days for, I, I'm, I'm sure that you follow it, but the Reform Sports Parent uh, mm-hmm, Twitter page, mm-hmm. like there's a huge push for, for students and athletes not to specialize in any one sport too early. Yeah. And to to have those skill acquisitions from things like dance and gymnastics and soccer and basketball and create a well-rounded athlete. And I think that the big, the big question mark that people always have is, well, all of those great athletes and I, I Christian McCaffrey comes to my mind because, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, yeah. got to talk Carolina <laughs> Panthers a little bit. 
you know, he was a three sport athlete in college. He ran track or he ran track and he did football. And then in high school, he was also on the basketball team. And the people always kind of say, well, he, w- he was able to do all those things because of such a, he was such a good athlete. And it's really the reverse that mm-hmm. he's such a good athlete because he did those three things. So, and you know, for those people that are listening or watching, uh, Chris's big focus is on the entire athlete development. It, it's not on per se, you know, how do we get a kid to have a great dolphin kick? It's what skills can we work on, focus on, develop in the athletes that are then going to empower them to find their strengths. And uh, that's what I love when I, when I reach out to you and when I listen to you, Chris, is that you, you come at swimming, not from a, a specificity point of view, even though everything you do is very specific. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I love that. Love it, love it, love it. So yeah, it's, it's a roundabout way of getting into it, right? Like in some ways we need to be very general because it's going to pay off in the end. Like you mentioned, Christian McCaffrey, you go down the line of most of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL, most of the guys playing NBA, whatever high level sport you pick, if you trace back to what they were doing in high school, I guarantee the majority of them were three sport athletes. And, and you can't say that about a lot of swimmers. And I wonder if that holds some of them back. Now, obviously we know you need to put in the yards at some point, right? And, and, and not saying you need a high volume, but at some point you need to swim up and down the pool to become a faster swimmer, right? I'm not, not put Christian McCaffrey in the pool tomorrow and expect <laughs> high results. Like, like at some point, those skills do need to transition right. to a pool deck. I see what you're saying for sure. And I remember too, Jason, when I was working uh, here at the club team in Charlotte, um, Michael Chadwick was 13 years old and I would run his dry land. And I remember at 13 years old, him and a bunch of other boys at that point, they did basketball a lot during the year. And I remember he would he would roll ankles and then he couldn't do basketball for a while. So guess what? He came back to swimming. <laughs> he was just he was just doing swimming for a little bit, you know, and to think of how athletic he looks now. Right. And obviously he's doing everything from the dry land to the swimming. But to think he probably would have been capped if there was a hard line of you can't do any other sports. If you want to be a good swimmer, you need to just swim. And I, I just it's just so crystal to be able to see an example like that before your eyes of like, Hey, I knew that kid 10 years ago like when he was still like doing a bunch of sports. And now I can see the threads through time of seeing that come to play now where, you know, hopefully he's going to make an Olympic team whenever we get this trials underway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just stuff like that, I think comes up that swimmers are athletes. And I think that's a big shift from 30 years ago, where if you look behind the blocks of an Olympic finals, I don't know if a lot of those athletes or those swimmers look like athletes, right? <laughs> You're like, well, okay, those are definitely swimmers. But now, I mean, the Caleb Dressels, the, the Iron Woman, you know, like you just go down the line and you're like, these are athletes. You could stick them in any sport and they're going to not stand out like, oh, there, there's the swimmer. You wouldn't be able to pick them apart. Absolutely. So, Chris, here's my first question for you. And, and I, I kind of want you to look at this on a two pronged approach. What is your advice to the coach? that is currently fighting athletes to specify in swimming. So uh, the coach that's saying you do need to just stick to swimming, like you have a gift, you have talents. What do you say to that coach? But then on the flip side, what do you say to the athlete that's put in that situation? What is your advice to them? Yeah. So I'll go with the athlete first is I would ask them, what do they really enjoy? Number one. And you have to remember, like, they're still a kid, right? And so they should, they should make sure they're enjoying what they're doing. 
the professional athletes get paid millions of dollars because guess what? Not all the time do they enjoy what they're doing. Like you talk about the NBA guys. Do you think everybody enjoys being in a bubble right now, like away from their family and friends for two months? There's a reason they're getting paid money for that right now. And to ask a high school athlete, hey, I know you really like this other sport and you may have a passion for it, but your skills are really good in this. So just like, you know, put away that dream. Like I feel that's really insincere and and not the best approach for a kid, right? Now, it's a different thing if it's later in their college career, post-college, there's there's real goals and and a line of a path of like a professional uh, career in swimming, right? That's a, obviously a very different conversation than a freshman, sophomore in high school that is good at three other sports and they really love baseball, but they're really good at swimming. But, you know, they just want to swim in the summer. Um, yeah, I feel like the kids got to, to decide what they want to do. But at the same time, what now how I pivot back to the coaches, the coach needs to be honest with that athlete and say, okay, I hear your passion about baseball. I'm just letting you know if, you know, swimming at this D1 school is a goal of yours, or if going to the Olympic trials is a goal of yours. Like these are the things that basically every other swimmer that accomplishes these, they're doing, you know, they're swimming five times a week, six times a week, you know, whatever you have. So for the coach to be able to not in a mean way, but just practically lay that out for them, I think that would be very beneficial. Say, okay, if you do have a passion for baseball and you just want to swim on the side, that's great, but be realistic with what you're going to be able to do with your swimming. And for the coach to be okay with that, if the kid's okay with that, right? I think that's where it really comes in, where if the kid says, that's thanks coach. Like, I appreciate that, but I love baseball. I'm going to go after baseball and I'm still going to swim in the summers. And now the coach is frustrated. They feel betrayed. Like, well, why don't they see what I see? Right? Like they have so much talent. I think that's where it gets in the way, but the coach needs to be honest with the kid. Hey, if this is your goal, this is what most of the kids do, you know, but let the kid make the decision on that. Um, Yeah. I think it's all in the approach. And I think it comes down to the ego of the coach. Right. I think back to my early coaching career, I had way too much ego involved in it, right? It was an extension of my competitive nature as a swimmer. And now I put it in the coaching circuit and that really doesn't work because it's not about me. I'm not swimming the races, right? Like I'm not putting in the hours. I'm writing the practices. Yes, I'm involved and I'm invested in it, but it's not, it's not my sport anymore. It's not my career. It's someone else's. And how do I best serve them for that? That's huge. And, you know, I'm Chris, you talked a little bit about your, career as a high school coach, you know, that's still the world that I live in and I love it. But I think that a lot of my job is I'm a used car salesman. Like I've got to, I've got to convince kids to do a really hard sport when they do have other options. And, you know, I kind of make a living off of dual sport kids. We were kind of in like a rural area in Texas Mm -hmm. where, you know, I've got, I think of my 42 kids on my high school roster, I think I've got 17 are dual sport athletes. And then probably 30 are involved in some form of like student council or band or choir, like some additional extracurricular, but I've got this one boy, shout out Matthew Walters, but like he's salutatorian in his class right now, sophomore going into his junior year. But like his goal is he wants to go play baseball at Stanford Mm. and he did not swim for me his freshman year. And he was kind of coming up through the summer league program. I knew about him. I didn't put any pressure on him because I'm a big believer that, you know, it's gotta be their decision. Yeah. Right. And then his sophomore year, he did come to me and he's like, yeah, you know, I think I'm, I'm going to do this for conditioning for baseball. And I'm like, absolutely. Let's do it. Rock and roll. And he wound up going to double O in the hundred brushstroke swimming four days a week with me, yep. you know, 
And I mean, it, it, he's, he's an outstanding kid. And he's, he came to me after the spring. He's like, I threw five, six, seven miles per hour faster this spring than I did last yeah. year. Yeah. And I'm like, it's all rotational strength and it, yeah. and it complements each other really nicely. And, and I think that there's a big piece of that, but also when I look at Matthew and I will, when I look at Brady and when I look at, you know, some of my other kids that are dual sport athletes, I see that their, their ability to, to make connections is catalyzed over the other kids. Like the other kids eventually understand movement, but these kids get it faster. So my next question, Chris is, you know, what do you believe is dryland's role in the sport of swimming? And what should a club or high school or college dryland program really look like in your opinion? And that's probably a loaded question. I'm sure you have an idea of what a club program and a high school program and a college dryland program should look like. So uh, dive in, go for it. Well, well, first I want to back up real fast, Jason, what you were finishing about this baseball player went to swimming and then came back and became a better baseball player. I can't remember who said it, but they said, you know, if I have a 11, 12, 13 year old, or even younger, the ideal rotation of sports, swimming in the summer, soccer in the fall, karate in winter, and then baseball or tennis, some kind of hand-eye coordination in the spring. And they're like, if you just rotate that, you have now the perfect well-rounded athlete. And it goes back to what you were saying, where how these higher level athletes in other sports, they're better swimmers in terms of like, not that they're faster than the other year rounders necessarily right off the bat, but they can make changes so much faster because they're just aware of their body. Swimming is a weird sport. You're in water, you're suspended. You don't have ground reaction forces unless you're going off the block or the turn. And so there's a lot of different things going on. So to answer your question about dryland, dryland needs to support building better athletes. And if you have that better athlete that we were talking about, then they're going to end up being a faster swimmer. So dryland shouldn't replace swimming. I'm not an advocate of that. And again, I understand you have to put time in the pool. One of the questions I ask when I do clinics, I ask uh, coaches, you know, raise your hand if 90, 95% of your swimmers have never had an injury in the past season or two longer than like, you know, uh, a few days and almost no hands can go up. <laughs> they Swimmers are in and out all the time. Miss my shoulder, my hip, my knee. If all they did was just swim consistently, which is what the great Michael Phelps taught us, right? In his run, I forget where, where that, you know, eight year stretch was, right? Where he didn't miss a day of practice. He was doing doubles. All it was is he was gaining years on everybody else. And so I go back to that. If dryland can allow your swimmers, if nothing else, just for them to never miss a practice because they're hurt, then that's successful. Even like, even like that's the base level that we're talking about here. Um, if we can go beyond that, then how can it enhance swimming? Swimming is very unique in that you have to get in funky, weird positions. Um, a client that I trained in person, he used to be uh, a very high level ballet dancer. He traveled the world with this renowned ballet company. And now he was, he owned a physical therapy company and kind of had a lot of aches and pains and reminded me honestly of like retired swimmers. <laughs> like, where, where have I seen this picture before? Right. We're like, Oh yeah, my shoulder still hurts. You know? Yeah. I swimming, you know, a bunch of years. He, he'd kind of complain about the same aches and pains. And then he'd like do the splits, you know, in the gym where I'm just like, I, I I can't even imagine like ever getting there in 50 years. Right. And it was interesting how I started to make the connection of here's this guy. He had to get in really funky positions, extreme flexibility. You think about like the catch or some other phases of the strokes. It's really funky, right? Like it is not a natural thing. Well, the interesting with this client is 
as we were going through the programming, it was a very simple program. We talked about one of the things I'm big on is balancing ratios. So push, pull, squat, hinge. If you could just do that in your program, it's going to be a good program. So we did that very simple program. And even a few weeks into the program, he's like, Chris, I'm feeling like a lot better now. Like everything's feeling good. And guess what? He could still do all these crazy movements. And so I think sometimes swim coaches in their zest to be able to get that great early vertical forearm, right? That, you know, the golden <laughs> the golden arm that we're looking for is they just say, all right, let's just hold this or let's just get in this funky position. And they don't back up like we've been talking about bigger picture of like develop a better athlete and then they're going to be able to get in that better position. And so the swimmers and the ballerinas, it's actually one of the titles of uh, one of the lessons in the new in the new dryland certification, because it is very similar. He got better as a ballet dancer, even though he's retired, like his body was better because we built it back up as an athlete should. And why wouldn't swimming be any different than that? You know, so dryland needs to support what the swimmers are ultimately doing. It shouldn't become the focus by any means. I agree 100 percent, Chris. So so here's the actionable step. Now, what should that look like for club kids as they're developing as athletes? And what should that look like as high school kids where they're balancing kind of that adolescence? And then for college and beyond those elite levels of competitive professional athletes, in your opinion, where does dryland fit for those individuals? Yes, yeah, so I think it should be a major part for all of a swimmer's career. What that dryland looks like, that is going to vary a lot, right? So one of the things when they're early young swimmers, when we're doing dryland, it's actually a very result-based goal, what we're looking for, which is counterintuitive. People would think, oh, process, right? Like we're doing process. And what I mean by that is when I had the little kids, uh, especially and was running it, I would, you know, one of the games we would do is, all right, we're in, it, we're in this room or we're out in the field and I have two color rings, a blue and a red and 20 yards, start, finish line. I throw the rings around. I say, all right, kids, you're going from here to here. You can only land in the blue ring with your right foot, only in the red ring with your left foot. Ready, go. And they would have to figure out how do I negotiate this? Like, how do I hop from one leg to the other and make sure I'm in the right ring? And I'm not worried about, oh, what does their squat technique look like? Oh, is their knee, you know, outside of when they're landing? They're just trying to figure out how does my body move in space? I set parameters. And I said, all right, here's the result. You go from here to here. Very simple. But then as you start to progress and you mature, then there's a little bit 50-50. We still want the result, but you're starting to teach a little bit more on this is what the technique should look like. All right, guys, so now we're squatting. This is what your hips should look like. This is what your chest should look like. And then when you get to the point of uh, older high school, definitely college or post-grad, it's almost all technique-based in terms of this is the most important thing. Yes, I, I in some ways care about the weight you're moving and the reps and stuff like that, but it's about the technique. And I think to be able to flow through that is important for coaches to know because if you start off trying to coach the eight-year-old on their squat and point out all the five different things they're doing wrong, you think they're going to enjoy dryland? Like, do you think this is going <laughs> to this is going to be a fun for you thing? as a coach? Are you going to enjoy dryland? No. Like, are you going to enjoy herding cats? and eight-year-olds that all they want to do is run fast. No, right. that's, that's And so bingo. like we would do we would do these silly games like red light, green light on lunges 
or the Simon Says game that I did where uh, it would be like a jumping jack or a 180 spin and I would either say it or do it. And so stuff like that, where it's a very, again, defined thing. I'm not promoting like unsafe things in dryland activities, right? Like there's parameters with it, but it's a very, are you doing it or not? It's yes or no in the younger kids dryland and don't overload them with the techniques and all this stuff start to weave it in around 13 14 i'd say and then as they get older then you're really focusing in on the technique um but you just like there's kind of a critical period for aerobic development there's a critical period for movement patterns for motor control and that's early so that's what we want the kids to just explore like what does it mean to stop on one leg and balance like, what does that feel like? And they need to do that over and over again. And yeah, they're going to mess up and that's fine. Like, just make it a game, have it be enjoyable so that they don't dread dry land so early in their career. And like the worst thing is, all right, let's just run a few laps, right? All right, let me, <laughs> like the worst thing you could do. And and I think a lot of coaches, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but like in this, in this day of COVID where it's not, it's not pool space or it's, excuse me, it's not deck space that's hard to find. It's the pool space that's hard mm -hmm. to find. So like mm -hmm. a lot of coaches are viewing dry land as the, as kind of like the the step, like kissing your sister, like, like you have to do dry land because I don't have enough We're space stuck. in the pool. <laughs> yes. And, and when really like it's, it's now an opportunity for coaches to develop and for uh, kids to develop. And I was talking to Mark Hesse, who formerly was working at USA Swimming and he was talking about Caleb Dressel and you mentioned, mentioned him earlier, like Caleb grew up in different sports. Like, yes, mm -hmm. he was a phenomenal swimmer that had age group national records, but like it wasn't, he was, he was not engineered and bred in a pool. Like he learned how to jump and he learned how to play and he learned how to do things. And I think Mark was talking about like his family owns a farm and he would go and like do things on the farm and like move hay and like functional movements as a kid growing up that have now transitioned into this, this concept of he's the world's fastest man. Um, so Chris, you have a wealth of knowledge and I feel like you and I could talk about the, the minutias of dry land all day long, but I really did want to give you a chance to have a platform to talk about your surge strength program. And, um, you know, I, I've looked at it and there are some pieces of it that I love, but I just kind of, you know, what is surge strength and what led you to create this, this platform, this program for coaches to learn about dry land? Yeah, so a quick history lesson on this. Um, so when I first started Ritter as a company, the Surge Strength ebook was the first thing I ever created. This is like circa 2011 or whatever. <laughs> I remember I did research like, how do I do an ebook with like links that you can click and stuff? <laughs> this is how far back this was. It's crazy. But at the time, I wanted to put everything I had in my head at the time of how would I train swimmers through dryland and strength and conditioning. And so that book you know, we, we ended up giving it away for free and would master swimmers would read it in particular and be like, wow, this makes sense. And then they start training with us. And that led to us training teams and individuals all around the world now through our app. And it was honestly a thing where every now and then I felt like, well, maybe I need to do something more with it. But I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I want to do other stuff. <laughs> I want to do, you know, the podcasts and the hive and all this other stuff had my interest. And honestly, it was really when the COVID shutdown happened that I saw immediately, right, Jason, like overnight, coaches are like scrambling, like, what do I do now? Like, I have, I have Zoom dry land calls. That was calls. me. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> what, what do I do? 
oh, dryland, you're right. I'm now stuck with dryland. <laughs> and the other thing too was the the back and forth and confusion about liability insurance. Like, where are we in this? And so all these things kind of spun in my head really fast. And, you know, I took a long time to think about it a day. <laughs> and I was like, all right, now's the time we got to do this. And I was kind of been thinking about it for a while and just kept putting it off. And I was like, now is the time we need to have the first ever dryland certification that's going to solve all these problems. So if you get certified, you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have any, any type of degree, any other certification. Once you have SSDC behind your name as initials, you can then go get professional liability insurance to cover yourself. The same liability insurance I got when I was a personal trainer and strength coach, you know, driving around to different facilities to make sure I was covering myself. So that was number one. The other thing is putting together compact, small digestible lessons that you can take and say, all right, from A to Z, if I know nothing about dry land, I'm going to educate you on exercise science, the principles of it, and then how specifically does it relate to swimming? Because there's things out there, there's certifications out there, uh, you know, like the CS, CS, for example. I mean, I got the CSCS. I've talked to other coaches like, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about getting it, but it just felt like it wasn't, you know, I'm a swimmer coach. Why do I need CSCS? And I would hear that a lot and think, what can we do to fill that gap there? And I think the SSDC, the Surge Strength Drown Certification, is that answer because it's on that level. We actually have people with their master's degrees and CSCS credentials that are taking the course right now. And they're like, this is better than anything I've ever taken before. Like this blows the CSCS out of the water. And that's what I wanted to do, that level of education, but also make it swimming specific. And then in turn, Jason, I want strength coaches who have no knowledge of swimming, but they work with swimmers to be able to take this certification. And yeah, they're probably not going to learn much in terms of periodization and higher level programming from this. But my hope is they'll start to see, oh, this is where swimming kind of fits into this. And this is how I can mold my program to better serve the swimmers that I'm working with. And so I, I think that we can work with both those populations of coaches that want to know how do I do better dry land? But then also other strength coaches, physical therapists, anybody that needs continuing education units, they're going to be able to take the surge strength drawn certification and understand how does swimming fit in this picture here. So I'm really excited about it. And we've had yeah. a great response so far. I've, I've had the opportunity to go up to Indiana and work with their swim camp, and their, uh, their college team the last couple of summers. I didn't get to this past summer because of COVID, but um, you know, they have a specific you know, strength and conditioning coach for the swimming program. And I, I don't know how many, you know, power five strength coaches go into strength coaching because they think I'm going to get to work with the IU swim team. It's usually <laughs> kind of one of those things it's delegated to somebody and yeah. then it's their responsibility to learn about that sport. Like they're probably really wanting to work with the basketball players or the Hoosier football team. And then they wind up, but, and I, I, do not mean to say this as a negative slam towards IU strength program. Clearly it's working very well for those swimmers, but I, I think you're right. There's, there's a niche within your program and it, it caters to the swim coach that wants to learn more about dry land and the strength coach that wants to learn more about swimming and kind of how those two bridge each other. And I, you know, I love the fact that surge strength, you said it's chunked up and it's digestible and that's exactly how I would describe it. So um, I recently started my master's degree in educational administration and, mm -hmm. you know, a, a big piece of education is knowing, you know, the accommodations and modifications that you need to give to students 
And one of the most common ones is uh, chunking and yeah. trying to break things into smaller pieces. And that's what you've done here. And, and I see a lot of similarities between how your site works and, you know, the actual, you know, online master's program that I'm working on right now. And, and it's broken down into modules. And sometimes I see too many resources that are trying to claim that they are focused on coach development when they're really just Pinterest boards filled, filled with resources and just random articles. And, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about squats this week. And then, you know, two days later, we're going to talk about, you know, bench press and, and yeah, like how no, does it fit together? Exactly. There's no, there's no blend. There's no progressive uh, linearization of the program. And, and I, I love that this program is really geared towards coach education, not coach certification. Like, yes, you want to have the letters after your name, but this is really focused on, you know, what are you going to learn within this that's going to be applicable to your athletes going forward? Jason, I loved how you crystallized that. That's exactly why I had been hesitant to do it for so long because at, at the end stage where I was just, just doing personal training and swim coaching, you know, I could realize it didn't matter what letters were behind my name at one point, right? Like it, it doesn't matter. And so I didn't want to just continue that of, Hey, here's another certification. And that's why I resisted for so long, but then just seeing the need overnight. And I'm glad you put it that way. Cause that's really what I wanted. I wanted an educational program for the coaches, but then now also a way for coaches to distinguish themselves of, Hey, I know my stuff when it comes to dry land. And that's a very employable skill and a look for skill, especially college club level to be able to come on and say, Hey, I can be the person on staff to take care of dry land. Like that's a huge thing for a lot of programs. Absolutely. I, I have a wonderful assistant coach, Deneen, if you're listening, please never leave me. But I mean, she, that that's kind of the, the strength that she's brought while we're going back to practices. I know that my strengths lie in a pool deck. And I know that her strengths lie in kinesiology, exercise physiology, working with movement. Uh, she's an elementary PE teacher for our school district. And, you know, that I delegated those responsibilities to her while at the same time, I want to learn more and I want to find programs like yours. So Chris, would you mind just kind of showing us really quickly on your end, you know, for the, for the typical consumer that comes into this program, what do you see? How is it, how is it kind of crafted and, and organized within the surge website? So I've given you share access. Yes. Yeah, so if you can are you see my screen, uh, not yet. So you've got a click the share button. Uh, do I have then, to accept? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, so if you're listening at home, you'll go to oh, bit.ly slash Ritter, all lowercase R-I-T-T-E-R. -T -T -E and then it's going to be followed by O-T-T. -T. So Ritter O-T-T. -T. All right, Chris, we can see your screen. Cool. So this is the new website. Oh yeah, by the way, in in addition to creating the first ever certification, we also built an entirely new website. So just, just little things here because I felt like if we we're going to do something this big, it needed something fresh and I wanted it to be the crystallization of the best thing we've ever done so far. And having run other educational things like the hive and lots of other things throughout the years, I felt like we had learned enough of what worked, what didn't, and we could actually like put it into play here. So, um, we also wanted to make sure, Jason, that even if you didn't want to pay for the certification, you can still get dryland stuff for free. And so that's where we basically housed the academy, which is where the certification lives, but also all these dryland 101 courses. So here's the backside here. 
So you can register for free and free courses right now, building the pull-up. So how to get an athlete from not being able to hang on the bar to actually doing multiple pull-ups core training, which I'm sure no, some coaches care about, right? <laughs> when you score train, um, best lower body exercises, best upper body exercises, and even writing workouts. So all these are free one-on-one courses that anybody can go through. And they're taken directly from the surge strength dryland certification. So as of right now, the day of this recording, um, almost seven of eight modules are pretty much complete. We're going to have the eighth one out here in the next week or so. And people are going to start to be certified uh, mid-September here. But right now, Jason, it's about almost 20 hours worth of content. But like you said, it's cut up into small bite-sized bits. So seven minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes. I mean, that's about the average that I would say the videos are. And then at the end of each module uh, here, I'll, I'll show you just a quick example of what one looks like. So you can watch the video right here. And then we also have handouts, uh, PDFs of the slides. If there are other handouts that are pertinent, I have a lot of case studies throughout the course too. So in this last module that I've been working on, module seven, it's all about training specificity. So I have a case study for how we trained a master swimmer for over two and a half years that he could barely do any pull-ups to two years later, he was doing five pull-ups to his chest with 55 pounds on his waist in his fifties. So you see the whole program, like how we did that. So all that stuff is included in the certification as you're going through it. But at the end of each module, I give you an idea of how well you're grasping it with this knowledge check that we've done. And so what it is, uh, as I scroll down here, it's just a real 10, uh, 10 question quick quiz. And it lets you know immediately if you got the question right or wrong. So then as you're going through it, you're saying, am I picking up everything in this module? And then the cool thing is, let's say you got a couple questions wrong on this first module. And what you can then go back to this search and review tool that we have. And if you've been in the hive, you're familiar with this tool that we have. You can then, Jason, type in that term. Let's just say it's strength. You're confused about strength. Now it pops up every instance I said strength in the first module videos. So you don't have to go searching for like, oh, where did he say this? Just put it in. And then it pops right to the instant where I said strength in this second lesson or the 20th lesson or wherever you want. So I think that's a really powerful tool for people that are trying to absorb stuff. And if you realize, oh, I'm not picking up these couple of terms, go back and use the search tool and then get to the exact point in that video where I'm talking about it. So you can make sure that you're picking it up. And beyond that, I think, Chris, you know, if we're getting away from the whole, you know, just it's the letters behind the name or we're truly getting to the education, this is now a resource that coaches can use. Like I've got a kid that I get in the weight room with him and he cannot, he can't hinge and he does not know yeah. how to. And if I can go back through and I can search for hinge, now it's about that coach education, not the coach just trying to check boxes that I got the quiz right. Like it's true resource and materials that are actionable towards your students and towards your swimmers. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited. And I've, the feedback has been overwhelming so far, how much people are enjoying it. And also too, Jason, I mean, at this point now, I think we're almost at 20 countries represented where coaches are taking this certification uh, all over the world so far. So it's just awesome. So we don't have any five stars reviews yet because you can't review it till you pass that quiz, but that's going to be changing in about a week or so. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. So Chris, where does your Surge podcast fit in with the Surge Strength uh, website? So do they complement each other? Is it something that, you know, 
they're completely separate? Are they intertwined a bit? What do you think? So that's a good question, Jason. And I've been doing the Swim Coaches Based podcast for a long time and kept pretty much the same format. And so when I wanted to start the surge one, I was like, well, I'm not going to do the same thing. I need to do something different. And so I actually took a while to kind of figure out what do I want the structure to be? And just in actually the last month or two, really figured it out. So now each episode's probably a little bit shorter than most of the Swim Coaches Base podcast. I think it's more in the neighborhood of 20 to 35 minutes. And it's three chunks. It's the first one is what's on my mind lately, all about dryland. And I talk about, you know, what's on my mind, how it relates to dryland. The second part is we're actually pulling audio from one of the lessons inside the Surge Strength Academy. So you get to hear it. I mean, obviously on some of the one-on-ones, you can just enroll for free to check it out, but we're even giving you some of the paid stuff that's in the cert. It's just, you can't see it. You're not going to have all the extra handouts and things like that, but you can still absorb a lot from just the audio part, even though it is a video. And then the last part is dryland talk where I'm interviewing our dryland certified coaches on staff. I'm interviewing clients and coaches that we work with on a regular basis and how they're improving. Um, Even today, we had a study session for some of the people that are going through the certification right now. So we post things from that. And we had some really great, great questions. And that's cool that there's such high level that the coaches are really soaking this up and then saying, okay, Chris, I understand this, but now X, Y, and Z and really in detail but not so much that you know they're they're getting too minute that it doesn't matter. They're like really thinking through some of these hard things about dryland and like how do I have a solution for it? So all of those things, it's just all dryland all the time on on the Surge Strength podcast. That's awesome, very cool. All right, so a, a big reason why I started my podcast, which is a studly five episodes long, but you got to keep reason, going, Jason. Keep I going. Know, I know. <laughs> uh, but a big reason that I put it together was I needed number one a creative outlet. And number two, I needed, you know, I needed to prove to myself that I'm trying to learn something new all the time. Mm. And I've had some great guests on, but a big piece of it has been, you know, I want to focus on COVID and coming out of COVID stronger than you were going into it. And uh, we talked about it a little bit, but I would say that every program in the country is, uh, has lost some of the pool time that they had prior to COVID. And as a result, yes, (laughs) I'm trying to, you know, I'm sure that there are some that are like, nope, we own our own pool. Like that's good for you. But for the most part, less than 1%. (laughs) Exactly. And like, I'll give my team as an example, we have 42 kids on my team and the YMCA that we operate out of, which is wonderful. And I do not have any of those horror stories of working with a YMCA. Um, But they said like, Hey, you know, 40 40 people is the most that our pool can take per our guidelines. I'm like, okay, so that means I've got to split groups. So right now I've got 21 here and I've got 21 here. My contract says I get two hours in the water. So we're going an hour in the water for this group and then 30 minutes of dry land. And now we're going 30 minutes of dry land and an hour in the water. So right now, 33% of our work is being done on land. So Chris, if you were me and you had this group of all levels of athletes and swimmers, um, where would you start with a dryland program? What would it look like? What a COVID inspired emphasis on dryland would begin where for you and your high school club program? So you have access to water. So that's the big you have piece, access right? to water. Yes. So if you have access to water, there's really, I don't know if no, but there's very little reason to have fitness be 
a component of dry land. If you have no access to water, then absolutely we need to figure out how to still have a fitness element. So that's number one. Um, if then I'm looking at the dryland program, what we're actually doing, I'm starting with how do the athletes move and mainly around mobility and mobility of the shoulder. I, when the shutdown first started, I think it was the first or uh, actually, yeah, first week of April, we started doing this free webinar series about it. And I said, hey, look guys, you don't know when the shutdown is gonna come up, when your pool is gonna be back open, but guess what? Today, we're gonna show you three or four exercises you could do with shoulder mobility. And if you just do these, if you do nothing else for the next week, month, however long this is gonna be, if your shoulder is now healthy 100% and you get back in the water, we go back to what we talked about earlier, you can train 100% and you're not having to worry about it. You know, we're now five and a half months after that now, Jason. And how much could swimmers have improved their shoulder mobility? Like there should be no shoulder problems on your team if you paid attention and you had your kids do three things that we showed you that would take them five minutes every day. But, you know, it's like, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? Next best time is today or tomorrow, right? So it's the same thing. If you wasted the last five and a half months, don't worry, just start today on stuff like shoulder mobility. And then even like pull-ups, that would maybe be my, my first component on strength is pairing if we got the shoulder moving well, now let's get strong, especially around that shoulder. And pull-ups are just so, so good for so many reasons. But when we're thinking about building the swimmer's body, I broke it down to three things in the certification. Um, one is a high strength to body weight mass ratio, uh, strong core, and then also being mobile. And so if we have the shoulder mobility down, that's the biggest mobility most swimmers lack. The next thing is that strength to body weight ratio is, is really good. And pull-ups are probably the number one exercise that show where are you on that scale? <laughs> you know, can you do multiple pull-ups? Can you do double digit pull-ups? Can you do 20 plus pull-ups? Well, that's kind of the scale on like where you're at when it comes to checking that box. Um, and then also then going to core, we have a one of the tests that we teach in the assessment there on the curriculum is the bridge combo test where you're down in a bridge position. You got to hold it for a minute. Then after a minute, you lift your right foot just two inches off the ground for 15 seconds. Then you put it back down, then other foot for 15 seconds. So now we're at a minute and a half. Put that foot down, reach an arm out, 15 seconds. Other arm out, 15 seconds. We're at two minutes now. Now you go arm opposite leg up, 15 seconds. Arm opposite leg, 15 seconds. Now we're at two and a half minutes. That is the test. If you make it through that two and a half minutes, you have adequate core strength. You are, you are, you are pretty good. <laughs> I, I know that a lot of coaches out there are thinking, man, I don't even know if half my group can do that. And so even doing things like that, and we explore more of that, and we kind of have an athletic standards of like how strong should a swimmer really be when we break that down. But Jason, kind of in a nutshell, yeah, mobility around the shoulder. Can you do pull-ups? And can you pass that bridge core test that we're talking about? Um, and even if, again, 30 minutes, that's not a lot of time. I think that's the other thing. Swim coaches try to pack too much into their dryland sessions. And if you pack too much, you're not having the repetition. And if you don't have the repetition, you're not going to get the adaptation for that. Agreed, 100%. And if you have not seen it, uh, Chris was able to publish kind of like a sneak peek at that, that pull-up series on Swim Swam this past week. And uh, you can kind of go on there. I'll link the article on swim swam in the description so you can kind of see you know what is chris kind of giving as a snippet to the general public and you know what more is there being offered in the surge academy and in that surge strength uh 
Search Strength website. So Chris, my last question I have for you is what words of advice would you give to coaches, swimmers, and parents as they traverse the waters of the COVID pandemic? So uh, I, I, again, I want to bring it back to we're getting through this and being solution oriented. We have coaches all over that are in all different places, but what kind of blanket recommendation or advice would you give to everybody? Jason, this is easy. I go back to, I, it was the first or second slide I had at each of those webinars that we ran in April. And I said, how are you going to view this time as what you can get better at or what you've now lost? And it's focusing on what you can control, right? If you've lost access to pool, to water time, I mean, that sucks. There's no other way around it, right? But if you can't control it, why are you focusing on it? There, we Again, we showed you plenty of things you can do in my office with no equipment, very little equipment, and you can become a better swimmer. And so I think that's just human nature, right? To focus on what you've lost as opposed to what you can do. And so building that skill as coaches in yourself first, so then you can hand it off to your athletes and say, hey guys, it sucks for me too, but like, this is what we got to do. This is what you can focus on to get better. So I think focusing on what you can do. And there are lots of things you can still do, even if you don't have access to water during this time. And, and I mean, not saying it's easy by any stretch, but I think that's what you got to do. I agree. And, you know, John T. Skinner was a guest a couple, probably about two months ago, and he echoed those same remarks. It's not about what you lost. It's about what you can gain. Mm -hmm. um, Chris, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate you taking time to kind of clear up some misconceptions that a lot of coaches have about dry land and just overall movement, kinesthetics, biomechanics, athleticism within our kids. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Jason, thanks for having me on. I'm glad you started this podcast and I hope you get to 50, 100 and more episodes. Oh, we'll see. <laughs>